0: We've been uh, spending some time talking about the cross of Christ and talking about um, its central place in human history, the central place of Jesus' death and resurrection in human history. Most of the time uh, when I give a sermon, it is instructive in nature, like I'm go- we're going to say something and then we're going to respond to God and we're going to change the way we are or, or we're going to do things. We have next steps, right? Today's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more devotional in nature i'm going to ask you to use your imagination more today and to enter into the space of jesus on the cross and we're going to talk specifically about the pain uh, that jesus felt on the cross and i'm not going to be uh, gruesome it's not like a shock value thing it's i want it to be much more of a a reality thing some of it is gruesome because he died on a cross for crying out loud but Um, what jesus went through in order to achieve what jesus wanted to achieve the love of god overwhelms the reason for the cross the reason for the cross which is our separation from god and god's overwhelming love for us creates his willingness to pay any price in order to be close to us and that overwhelming love goes through what I think is also an overwhelming sense of pain and we're going to look at some scriptures and talk through it and end up uh, at the end of our time looking at the scripture uh, sharing a time of communion or if you grew up in a more traditional church like the Eucharist. Um, It's a, a ritual or tradition that the church has been celebrating for a couple of thousand years because Jesus started it and Jesus said this is uh, what you are to do and a lot of people say like "Oh, traditions are empty or traditions or whatever but around the world today and around the world throughout history the people of or since, since not throughout history throughout the church history back to Jesus people have been participating in this ritual and so when we do this we actually join with Christ and we join with them in a particular way that only happens in this ritual. And so I think the, it's not just an empty ritual, it's a ritual of beauty and meaning, and uh, that's where we're going to end up. And so we're going to ask, I'm going to ask, uh, that this sermon doesn't be something where you say, oh, here's the six things I'm going to change so I'm happy. Uh, it's going to be a time where I ask you to open your hearts to what God uh, went through and the amount of love that God has for you. Um, meditating on the pain of christ on the cross Um, the pain of christ on the cross uh, comes in different areas And the first area that i want to talk about and so you know there's going to be a lot of scripture and not a lot of stories and so it's going to take your imagination the pain of the cross begins uh, mentally i think for jesus there's a mental anguish that jesus went through when he was going to the cross Jesus, there's been a popular thing that's been popping around Facebook on like the little quotes this week that says, everyone forgets the real miracle of Jesus is being a man in his 30s with 12 close friends, Uh, which is, if you're, uh, that's a miracle. (laughs) But one of his friends, one of his friends uh, was the worst kind of friend and he was a betrayer. Uh, I want to begin there in Luke 22, and there's going to be a lot of scriptures, so I'm going to read them right off of the screen with you. This is Luke 22, 1 to 6, and then 47 and 48. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people, specifically the people siding with Jesus, who was obviously against the religious power. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed it with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and they agreed to give him money. And he consented, so you know, uh, at least one book that I (laughs) read said the money was equal about today to around a grand. Uh, He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to, to them when no crowd was present. And they wouldn't be able to just pick Jesus up. They would have to uh, actually find a space when Jesus was alone. Uh, can we go to the next one? Well, so while he was still speaking, Jesus is in the garden with just his disciples. And while he was speaking to them, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the crowd was actually Roman soldiers. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him but Jesus asked Judas are you betraying the son of man with a kiss Judas had told the people that he's going up it's going to be dark and they all look the same they all have English accents and they wear white robes with a blue sash (laughs) but he said I'm going to kiss the one who you want to arrest and he actually came up to Jesus kissed him and Jesus asked him the question do you betray?" the Son of Man, which was Jesus' name for himself in a kind of apocalyptic way, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? The beginning of Jesus' overwhelming mental anguish is the people who were closest to him were the ones who were abandoning him. Jesus actually says this in the next verse in the garden just before this happened. Jesus said to the other 11 disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. If you have a friend who speaks this way, you either think they're being over dramatic or this is extreme. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus is saying, My sorrow itself is killing me. He actually, next verse, Luke 22, actually says this in anguish as Jesus was praying. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I, I don't know if you've ever prayed so much that you're sweating. And and there's actually like stress conditions and I'm not a doctor, but I read books and stay at holiday inns. And so there's uh, there's actually conditions where you can be under so much stress that you sweat drops of blood. Uh, and it has a name that I won't even try to say. Um, uh, but he's overwhelming stress it's weird to think because we know looking backwards on history that Jesus was born to die for us this is his like this is where his life was going so it's weird to think that Jesus was stressed out by his calling that God put on him I think a lot of times we feel stress and we think it's somehow sinful but Jesus himself was feeling stressed to the point of Sweating drops of blood in his prayers. And I, I rarely sweat when I'm praying. And normally it's an air conditioning problem, not an intensity problem. But we, we see Jesus sweating because his prayer was so emotional and his stress was so high. His heartbeat was out of control. His adrenaline glands were rushing, rushing, rushing. In all of this, Judas walks up, kisses Jesus. And things go terribly, terribly wrong. The the next verse in Mark 14. one of the young men around Jesus, this is funny and it's okay to laugh for a second, he was wearing nothing but a linen garment. It was the middle of the night so he didn't get dressed properly. And when they, he was following Jesus. And when they seized him, they grabbed him by the jacket and he ran uh, naked, leaving his garment behind. Um, And there's some, this is when Jesus gets arrested, they start grabbing people and this guy decided to on the wrong day, go commando. And, and if you're around Jesus, it's always the wrong day to go commando. But uh, you didn't, never thought you'd hear the preacher say that, right? But uh, Jesus actually is being arrested. This guy gets grabbed and he takes off running. The Bible actually teaches that his disciples completely and utterly abandoned him. Jesus went, like, Peter actually denies him. Like, they say, Oh, aren't you with him? No, repeatedly. To where when Jesus dies on the cross, there's a very, very small number of people there. The guy who fed crowds that would fill stadiums, 5,000 and 4,000, the guy that was healing people and crowds were falling, the guy who the like, chief priests and the Pharisees were nervous about because of the control he had over the crowds, when he dies, he's completely abandoned. Like Jesus' life work of gathering a people who would be the people of God, who would carry out, excuse me, the implementation of the kingdom of God on earth. When Jesus on the cross, it looks and it feels like a failure. Like it's not surprising that they would think this is a failure. The mental pain that Jesus went through, I think, needs to be uh, real and needs to be acknowledged as we look towards easter as we look towards the amount of pain that jesus was willing to go through in order to love us the second part is a more obvious part and it'll be short but it's the physical pain of being crucified um it actually mark 15 the next chapter after this uh it actually says this they brought jesus to a place called golgotha Uh, or Golgotha, uh, however you want to say it, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine uh, mixed with myrrh, which was kind of like a pain agent, and he did not take it. And they crucified him. They crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see which each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him, and the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. It was... Not just a simple crucifixion, it was a mocking crucifixion. Jesus was given an, an illegal trial in the middle of the night, which was against the religious law, uh, and, and he was then crucified first thing in the morning, or as the sun came up, once the crowds were awake and they could use him as a demonstration, and as people were walking about and their day was, it was like mid-morning for their day because their day would begin around sunrise, Jesus is Actually and physically crucified, and if you're not familiar with this, and I don't, I'm not trying to be gruesome, but if you're not familiar with this, Jesus was uh, whipped and beaten beforehand, and then he was forced to carry his own cross from the place of his beating um, to the hill. He, he fell down on the way, and another man was forced to carry it for him. But then, uh, when Jesus is actually put on the cross, they actually would drive nails through. Uh, your hands or your beginning of your wrists and through your feet. A lot of times there would be a small platform there. Um, but the Romans saw this as the best way to torturously kill people in order to have crowd control. And most people uh, would die of, uh, would suffocate uh, because they, hanging, if you don't breathe, it hurts less. And then they would be forced to breathe, and as they breathe, breathe they have to flex their arms and as they flex their arms their wrist it increases the pain every time you breathe and so eventually the pain overwhelms you and you stop breathing but this would take usually days but in Jesus' case this is in John 19 uh, if we can flip to the next one. Uh, oh yeah I'm going to skip this go to the next one <laughs> there we go Now, whoa. I'm reading this off here because it would take me way too long to flip in my Bible. Uh, But now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. So it's Friday, and their Sabbath is Saturday. Because the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate, who was the Roman governor, uh, to have the legs broken so they couldn't pull themselves up and the bodies taken down. And the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. And then uh, those of the other man who was crucified with Jesus. Next verse. Uh, And then they came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead. And so they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Which there are some medical reasons for that that we don't need to talk about today. But Jesus was beaten so badly that his crucifixion killed him quickly. His, like the night of torture that he endured, was so overwhelming and so out of control that they got him as close to death as you can imagine so that then he died. And different readings say different things. It was probably around three, maybe six hours that Jesus was on the cross. A thing that normally took days to die from. Jesus dies incredibly, incredibly quickly because the pain that he endured physically was so great and so overwhelming that his body just couldn't take it any longer. This is uh, mental pain, and this is physical pain. But then there's uh, two things that I want to add to that. Uh, And the first being that Jesus actually takes, uh, or he took, our sin upon himself on the cross. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'm going to read from 1 Peter 2. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him who had no sin. This is Jesus, the only man in history to have no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Other Bibles say like to be a sin offering for us, but uh, that's a technical theological thing that we don't need to worry about, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took Jesus, who knew no sin, and made him sin. The next verse says uh, in 1 Peter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And it quotes an older scripture that says, By his wounds you have been healed. The rest of us in this room, outside of Jesus, have experienced sin. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have experienced, even if you aren't, probably you have experienced the shame or the weight of your sin. The shame or the weight of your failure. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he actually takes that, the weight of sin, upon himself. Which the good news, and the reason we call it Good Friday, is that you don't have to carry that. Is that Jesus' death on the cross was designed so that... Not so that you're free of, necessarily, the consequences of sin. You don't get to say, oh, I'm a Christian, I don't have to pay, the there are consequences. But the shame, the corrupting effect, the decay of who you are and of your soul and of God's creation isn't needed to be borne by you any longer. Jesus took that. And if you can imagine, for a second, Jesus, he's 33, he's on the cross, he's never sinned. He's never even once experienced the weight and the shame and the decay and the corruption that sin creates in each of us. And then on that cross, all of a sudden, it is all piled upon him. The spiritual shock that jesus would have felt i don't know that we can understand it if you multiply <laughs> the number of sinners who've lived in history before jesus and after jesus and all of that is dumped on right there I mean, a lot of us have a hard time carrying our own garbage and jesus takes all of As if holding his own body up wasn't enough, Jesus now is carrying this emotional and spiritual baggage that all of us have hung on the cross, but we haven't hung it on the nails. We've hung it directly on Jesus. He bore our sins on the cross. All of that ends up in the fourth and the last source of pain that Jesus endured, one that you and I will never, ever experience the next verse is in habakkuk which is an old testament prophet he says this about a god your eyes speaking to god your eyes are too pure to look on evil you cannot tolerate wrongdoing then he asks a couple of rhetorical questions but he says god your eyes are too pure to look on evil god cannot physically look at evil evil is actually abandoned by god so that god in this moment when jesus takes on the sin of the world cannot because god is so pure cannot look at jesus it's a weird thing that happens theologically because we believe in something called the trinity which is a mystery that god is three and god is one That God is fully God in God the Father, as we describe it in the Bible, or as the Bible describes it. God is fully God in Jesus the Son, and God is fully God in the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. But all three of them together are God together. Inside of that, there is a tear, or a brokenness that happens in Jesus, who has been God for eternity. He just took on human form or he entered into the flesh uh, 33 years before this story. But in history, in eternity, Jesus has always been a part of this trinity, and all of a sudden there is like, it's unexplainable, but he's separated. The next verse uh, in Matthew 26 is some of the final things Jesus says about three in the afternoon. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthane which he said with a country accent too. So I said it terribly, but Jesus very likely had either a country or an Egyptian accent, which is something else, but is awesome. Jesus says these words, which they mean in our language: "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" You've probably like thought this. In our low moments, in my low moments, embarrassingly, I think, God has abandoned me. God is no longer working here. God is not a part of what is going on here. God, why have you bailed on me? It's embarrassing because it's, it's not true for you and I. For you and I, in the worst moments, that's an emotion that we feel, but it's a false emotion. And not to dig, downgrade what you feel, like what you feel... Is your feelings, but it's not necessarily the truth, right? You can look at your sports teams. You feel things not true. It's not. <laughs> Even in my case, it's not. But when you uh, feel that you've been abandoned, the truth is God is always with you. Jesus' name in the Old Testament is Emmanuel, God with us. God by definition is with us except when jesus takes on the full weight of sin god is not with him jesus's pain is the actual abandonment of god the thing that you have felt the only time in human history that it's true is in that moment when jesus took on the full weight of the sin of the world imagine if you told someone i feel like god has abandoned me and they said i think so too I think you're right. (laughs) They're either the worst kind of friend (laughs) or you're Jesus on the cross. (laughs) To feel that and to know that's true. Jesus went through not just a mental pain of, of knowing what's coming and his friends bailing on him, of his movement seeming to fail, of the stress that he felt. Jesus went through physical, actual suffering in his death jesus went through the pain of bearing your sin and my sin and then jesus on top of all of that on the worst day ever and let me uh let me qualify that if you're god and then you're born in a manger in a stable it's probably the worst day ever like you were god now you're a screaming baby right worst day ever i know it's great for us and christmas happy happy but it would suck As if that couldn't get worse, Jesus' life ends completely separated from God. Not only did he leave heaven in order to enter our world, he then suffered the worst possible, most shameful, most embarrassing death that humans could manage to think of, and then, on top of that, had to be abandoned by God because of the sin that he carried. It's terrible. This is why I invite you to enter into that with your imagination. Because some days you might doubt the love of God. You might doubt the price or the distance or the length, the height or the depth that Jesus is willing to overcome in order that you will be with him. Jesus is willing to spend time abandoned by God in order that you would never be abandoned by God. We know, in this situation, there's desperation. We know what happens on Sunday. We know that Friday sucks. Well, now Fridays are awesome, but we know that this Friday sucked, but Sunday was right around the corner. We know that Saturday was going to be kind of a quiet and confusing day, but Sunday was going to be awesome. We know that suffering, any suffering in our life, any separation in our life has an expiry date because there's a day, that, the day that is coming because of the first resurrection of Jesus, there will be the general resurrection of his followers. I want to end with this. Uh, because I want to talk about Sunday, I don't want to leave us here. We're going to go to John 20. There's this story that is embarrassing for Thomas, but should be embarrassing for the rest of the guys. Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, which is a a detail in the Bible that means nothing. Uh, One of the twelve, maybe it means something, nothing to us. Uh, One of the twelve. Notice it was still called one of the twelve. Not called one of the eleven. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, Thomas is being ridiculous, because once you see the nail holes, that's probably enough. Asking Jesus to lift his shirt, when they didn't wear shirts, they wore those sash things, and you're like, we're checking to make sure Jesus isn't doing commando, right? <laughs> uh... Those are things that shouldn't have came out of my mouth, but it was very funny. (laughs) I don't just want to put my fingers where the nails were. I want to put my actual hand into the side of Jesus. Because after Jesus was dead, they still jammed him with a spear. And it's so infuriating. I want to put my hand in there. I will not believe. What does Jesus do when you say, I will not believe? Shows up a week later. His disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them and they were mocking Thomas because he deserved it. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. There's one dude in the room who's freaking out. And Jesus turns and locks eyes with him. He says, hey Thomas. And Thomas goes, it's Didymus. (laughs) I think he's talking to you. <laughs> is there any other Thomases? But Jesus locks eyes. And he says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. This is the, one of the first smart things Thomas does. He does not reach out his hands. I think he falls to his knees. My Lord am I God? And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus' scars became the proof that Thomas needed in order for him to believe in the redemption and the resurrection of Jesus. You know what I wish in life? Um, Generally, I wish the times that suck didn't suck. Generally, if you're like me, you go through things that are extremely difficult. Not nearly as difficult as the cross. But you're in them. And when Jesus went through the thing that we will never go through, his scars became the tool that he used not only to convert Thomas to the belief in his resurrection, but to pronounce or declare a blessing for those of us who the day that we put our hands on Jesus and put our hand into his side, on that day we will experience the culmination of our belief. We will be with Jesus in heaven. Jesus was willing to allow his scars to last. When you get to heaven, I really think this is true, you will know Jesus because he still will bear the scars on his body. And there's some theological mumblegum, whatever. Because we think that scars, and we think that pain, and we think the residual from that is somehow bad. We think we shouldn't just get over our pain or get through our suffering, but we should, like, become new and, and not acknowledge it. But Jesus doesn't show up to Thomas and say, look, I'm full, I'm whole, I'm completed, I'm new. He shows up and says, put your hand here put your finger here, and put your hand into my side. Jesus' scars have redemptive quality for all eternity. For all eternity, the followers of Jesus, the people who put their full faith and trust in Jesus, who Jesus, uses, Jesus uses the word being born again. I know that means something different in our culture, but Jesus used that word being born again, repenting of your sin, allowing Jesus to give you the full and free gift of eternal life. All of us, when we're with Jesus, will see his scars, and they will be the most beautiful scars that we can imagine. And you probably have pain and scars in your life. Maybe they're real, maybe they're physical, maybe they're emotional, maybe they're spiritual. Maybe they're, maybe they express themselves in shame or regret. And those things become a testament, not that you got over them or left them in the past, but you went through them and Jesus is with you. So that instead of hiding from those things, we're able to display those things. This is who I am. It's not just like, that's who I was and now I'm something new. Ignore that. Don't look behind the curtain. It's much more like, look behind the curtain and look what I've come through. And I walked through that. And there are parts of it that I wasn't walking. I was more being dragged, kicking and screaming by God who loves me and won't give up on me. Jesus' body was physically broken and his blood was physically shed for us. But greater than this, is our redemption was purchased by the sacrifice of jesus the mental physical sin-bearing abandonment pain that jesus went through on the night that jesus was betrayed the scripture teaches us that he actually took some bread as was kind of their tradition at the end of meals but jesus did something different and he actually broke the bread in a demonstrative way so that everyone could see and he turned to his disciples and he said this is my body which is broken for you which was probably confusing to them because this was the night before he was betrayed like this was the night he was betrayed so this is before this all went down this is a thing that they looked back on with an aha moment but jesus broke his body and then jesus took a cup and said this cup is my blood the blood of the new covenant, the new reality that you will live in. And you, as my followers, will do this in remembrance of me until I come back again, until the church age is over. And so since that night, a couple thousand years ago, the churches got together and broke bread and drank, well, Jesus used wine, but we're certainly not doing that, We use grape juice, and it's actually intentional. We have friends here who a taste of wine is very negative for them, and so we use grape juice as a way of ministering to each other. But we'll use uh, a small piece of bread, a flat bread, and a small cup that represents Jesus' body really actually physically broken for you and his blood that was really actually physically shed for you. We celebrate what we call communion. Because Jesus commanded us to. Because it draws our heart to the real and active life of Jesus. The real and active cost that Jesus paid for us. We actually will have, uh, if you've never celebrated communion with us here, we have two tables up here and we'll have a table at the back. And we actually invite you to, the band's going to come out and as we're worshiping, part of your worship is the participation in the eucharist and that first night uh, nobody sat still and behaved in fact there was one guy who definitely did not behave that was peter he never behaved but we ask you to come up and go to a table more family thanksgiving style and don't wait in line if we start forming lines we become something that this isn't because there's multiple sides to the table and you can come around the other side of the table and you take a piece of bread and as you're reaching in with your hand someone else is going to be reaching in with their hand and it's not just about you and god it's about us and god and as you take a cup there'll be other people at that table and you'll make eye contact and you'll remember in that moment that christ died for me and christ died for you the bible actually instructs that if you Uh, aren't a follower of Jesus, the Bible asks you not to participate. It's one of the few restrictions that are put on in the church. Uh, And it's not that this is somehow special and you don't get to have a part of it. It's that this will have an incredible amount of meaning at that time when you put your full faith and trust in Jesus. And so we don't keep track. There won't be anybody watching. (laughs) But if you're a full follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter about membership in a church It doesn't matter about your doctrine of this or that. It matters about, do you follow Jesus? And if you're a follower of Jesus, the table is open. Jesus constantly, constantly took sacred things and gave them to the worst people. (laughs) Jesus was constantly doing holy things among the worst people in society. And so if you're worried that um, I might be the worst one participating in communion... Uh, that's exactly the person that jesus would invite to the table jesus would actually come to your house and people would think it was scandalous but because jesus was kicking it with you that's exactly what jesus wants (laughs) so it's not a matter of do you deserve it or not it's a matter of do you follow jesus or not and so as we're worshiping the tables will be open and you're invited to participate Uh, and then you can pick it up and take it back to your seat if you're unable to walk someone can grab it for you there's not really rules about that and uh, and uh, we'll celebrate communion together as we're worshiping let's stand and pray and the band will come out lord god our god jesus we stand in awe this morning of the amount of suffering and pain that you were willing to go through We stand in awe, not just for the physical breaking of your body and the physical shedding of your blood, but for your sacrifice, which was prompted by an overwhelming love for us. You were abandoned. You bore the weight of our sin. You suffered physically, mentally, in the most humiliating way that humans could think of. In all of that, Lord, we come to you with this tension of humiliation because it's our sin that caused it, but also gratitude because our sin was an opportunity for you to demonstrate your love for us. God, heal us in this place today. By your wounds, by your stripes, we are healed. For those who are far from you today draw us close to you for those who've never put their full faith and trust to you may today be the day that we do fill us with everything that you are fill us with your spirit may we be born again the way the scripture teaches thank you jesus thank you